Hello and welcome to the Gateway House podcast. I'm Saloni Rao, Website and Publications Associate at Gateway House. Chinese President Xi Jinping's crackdown has driven the last US social media giant out of China. Microsoft pulling LinkedIn out of the country has once again raised the question, how far will China take this tech crackdown? Today we have with us William Holstein to discuss Chinese technological prowess and the challenge it poses to the United States. William is an author, journalist, consultant and speaker who has spent 50 years in the field covering China and technology. In this edition of the Gateway House podcast, we delve into his latest book, A Grand Strategy: Countering China, Taming Technology and Restoring the Media. This reflects his personal experiences and offers suggestions to counter China's technological influence. Thank you Bill for joining us. We're delighted to have you with us. I'm pleased to be here as well. Thank you. Thanks Bill. Can you please set the stage for us by telling us in greater detail about what grand strategy is? How do we go about the goals of countering China, taming tech and restoring the media? Well, it's a mouthful, I grant you, but the major contribution I believe I've made is to draw the connective tissue between these different sets of issues. For example, we are in the United States and many places in the world are in a debate about what to do about the power of our technology companies. That tends to be a different debate than the one about what do we do about China, but they're obviously linked. Obviously, we need to persuade our technology companies to stop developing advanced technology in China, stop selling advanced technology in China to better help the nations engage in competitive and collaborative relationship. So, I say that very advisedly, competitive and collaborative at the same time. It's a new form of a relationship that the Chinese are masters of for thousands of years. They've understood how to have competition at the same time they cooperate but for Americans this is brand new for us we've never experienced anything quite like this but what it means is that we have to persuade our companies to play on the side of America essentially maintaining as much activity in China as they can but ultimately the idea that corporations are stateless and they have no responsibility to any given country so the Chinese are disproving that theory. They are able to take advantage of our openness, our open system to turn these companies into avenues of influence and penetration of our IT systems. So clearly there's a connection here between our approach to China and our approach to our own technology companies. The third piece of it is the media and I've lived with that for many years more than I wish to share, but the media needs to play a better role in serving as a touchstone for that many people can believe in and again it touches on the role of social media which is the tech giants dominate so the tech giants have contributed to the undermining of what you would call a legitimate media that can inform people about what's happening in the world and help guide them not create the intellectual discussion that's necessary the fact that we have people in the United States who believe that they should not take a vaccine against the pandemic speaks volumes about what's happened to our national discourse we don't agree on the facts we don't agree on basic truths so our media is part of it getting handle on our technology companies is part of it and focusing our resources on contending with an emergent totalitarian china all these pieces fit together as part of what i call the grand strategy that's really interesting though you mentioned your extensive time in china so from this time as a journalist and later as a sino tech observer can you tell us more about how capitalism and the private market grew in china especially in the tech industry Well, I first went to Hong Kong for UPI in 1979 just as Deng Xiaoping was normalizing relations with Jimmy Carter. So, the China that I first saw was desperately poor. It was completely a communist system that I wandered around the department stores in in Guangzhou, then called Canton, 
and looking at what the Chinese people were being offered for sale. And the department stores were filled with things the Chinese people didn't want. I asked myself, well, why is this? It came down to the fact that the state was in charge, that if the ministry said to the department stores, we want you to stock 500,000 black shoes, that's what they did. They had no regard for what people actually wanted. So the department stores were filled with things that people didn't want. It was a profoundly communist system, profoundly poor. People were in rags, and particularly in communes. So it was Deng Xiaoping's idea to unleash a private sector. Unleash it, you know, it's incredible what happened. It's one of the history's most dramatic stories of a nation that adopts a capitalist form while keeping American technology companies out in terms of competing. They created enormous private sector, Alibaba, Tencent, Baidu, enormously successful. They leapfrogged the United States and the rest of the world in certain capabilities. For example, payment by phone is now ubiquitous in China, whereas they leaped over the credit card phenomenon. And of course, they have created 5G telecommunications standard that's better than anything the United States or Europe or Japan possess. So now what's remarkable about it is that Xi Jinping has decided that he is going to crush the private sector and take over the data that the private sector has accumulated and turn these companies into arms of the government, in effect. He's put in Communist Party committees into the management of these companies. He is intimidating the founders, the anti-monopolistic practices, and the other punitive measures that the government is taking are severe. This is one of the most dramatic ideological swings anybody's seen in our lifetimes that, in effect, after playing with the private sector for 30 or 40 years, now you have a Chinese leader who said, well, we'll take over now. Thank you very much for showing us the way. Now the party is in charge of everything, every activity. So in effect, uh, Xi Jinping is wiping out the private sector that has been so spectacularly successful. And I've heard the number, a trillion dollars of market value has been wiped out. Investors have lost a trillion dollars in market value because of what he's done. But he doesn't care. It doesn't matter to him. He has a different agenda. His agenda, some are calling it messianic now, of being a messiah, being a visionary leader to restore Marxist-Leninism in China. So it's been a spectacular journey to chart the ups and downs of what's happened to the private sector in China. So, I mean, taking this into account, your book gives us insight into China's strategy to be a world superpower by harnessing its tech prowess, especially. But it still continues to be dependent on countries like Taiwan for the TSMC or the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company's patented chip technology. So how do you see this playing out? This is one of the biggest questions that we've talked for, for days about this. I have sat down with representatives of the Taiwan government and I've asked them this question. You have a company, TSMC, that is selling advanced semiconductors to the Chinese military. They're getting there through middlemen. That Chinese military has missiles pointed in the direction of Taiwan and is flying jet fighters over your heads. And almost certainly your semiconductors are in those weapons. Why are you allowing this? They don't really have a good answer. They say, well, we're a democracy. And they are genuinely a democracy. I believe that we have to work with TSMC, Samsung in Korea, the Japanese, the Brits and the Dutch and the Germans. There are, there are about seven countries that dominate the international semiconductor industry. And the, this is one area where the Chinese are still incredibly vulnerable. 
they buy 300 billion US dollars worth of semiconductors every year. They're completely dependent on the world's semiconductors. If we could create a, a strategy that linked our governments and our private sector, and that if we could say that we are not going to allow China to buy advanced semiconductor equipment, as we've done in one case recently in Holland, ASML was going to sell an ultra extreme lithography machine that is so expensive it takes three Boeing 747s to carry it. That, that's necessary to make the three and five nanometer semiconductors now that are state of the art. We bought that. The Americans were able to block that, working with the Dutch uh, and the Germans, the Japanese. So there was a case where we prevented the, the Chinese from obtaining this equipment. So if we can do this on a consistent global basis, linking our governments and our private sector in terms of export controls, in terms of limitations on the acquisitions of our companies, we could be effective in creating a counterbalance. But I agree with you that the TSMC situation is one of the most perplexing and complex. There are at least a million Taiwanese on the mainland running much of their industry. Apple and Apple's entire supply chain, Apple makes all of its iPhones in China, and all of, the, all of them are made by Foxconn, which is a Taiwanese company. And so imagine the complexities of this, that you have major American companies in China completely dependent on Taiwanese management and Taiwanese companies and suppliers. So it's a very complex web we have to have a robust discussion about and hopefully come about with some solutions. Absolutely, Bill. When you talked about the semiconductor industry, you also mentioned a few countries. These countries also happen to be democracies. So is the U.S. prepared to take on this powerful tech China? And as the champion of the free world, can it bring together democracies from around the world to counter a technologically powerful China? Well, I, I want to be arrogant about it to say we are the champion of the world, of the free world, that our, our own democracy has been damaged in recent years. We've not been setting a particularly good example. I can see how the Biden administration has initiated contacts with their, our European partners. They recently had a technology summit meeting in Pittsburgh. We also have activated or, or re-energized the Quad, which is as you know, is a relationship among Australia, Japan, and, the, and India. So the, the, the first stages of, of an American effort are happening. It's un, totally unclear at this moment whether these countries can agree uh, on the strategy. The Germans and Europeans have a very different set of attitudes about China than you see in the United States. They don't want to become part of an American axis against China. They want to maintain their own neutrality, their own independent view. So, but can we, can we find points of, of overlap in our interests is, is the key question. The Germans are particularly dependent on China as a, a market for their cars. And every iPhone that we have here in America, the cameras in it are German. The German camera makers sell their cameras to China and they, they're in all of our iPhones. So it's a spectacularly complex question I think that the idea of a D10, a grouping of the democracies that come, come together and try to begin charting a strategy is a wonderful idea. I first heard that from your Blaise Fernandez. So I think it, it's something that we need to develop. And I, I'm, I'm delighted to have this conversation with you in Mumbai, because I think this, this dialogue is, is an important part of creating a global understanding of, of the 
depth of the challenges we face from China and the urgent need for us to begin agreeing on what we might do in response. Thank you so much, Bill, especially the idea of the D10 and what you your recommendations. We'd love to discuss that further, which we will be discussing in the next session with Blaise Fernandez of Gateway House. Thank you for joining the Gateway House podcast, and we'll see you in the next session. Thank you. Excellent. Thanks so much.